So, New Year, you know, you, you, you're obliged. You're obliged to talk about New Year's resolutions when it's a new year, right? You've got to talk about that. And uh, so I entitled the sermon, New Year, New You. And I'm using a verse that you might be familiar with from John the Baptist telling his disciples, he must become greater and I must become less. You might remember this scene. John the, the, the Baptist's disciples were coming to him and they're saying, Jesus' disciples are baptizing people and they're baptizing more and some of our disciples are running to him. What are you going to do about it, John the Baptist? And he says, I'm just the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the path for the Lord. He must become greater and I must become less. I think that's a great New Year's resolution. Now, as Christians, don't, don't you think you do that, right? Well, I think intellectually we do. I think that we think we do. But I can look in the mirror. I can see who I am. I hope you guys can too. And I think that we all need to work on becoming less and Jesus becoming more. And luckily, Jesus told us how to do it. How'd you do with your resolutions? Did you put your clothes on your um, treadmill like Jim did? <laughs> Just kidding, Jim. You sang really well. I'm there for you, buddy. I love this one. How's your new year going? Do you get it? December 31st, 1160. Last year's just like this year. This one made me laugh. New Year's resolution. Stop making lists. It's a list. Be more consistent. B. Seven. Learn to count. <laughs> Some of us are having problems with our New Year's resolutions. But as those in the faith, we want to follow this guy. He must become greater. I must become less. That's our resolution from John 3.30. But here's the key. Jesus was with his disciples, and, and this is Matthew 16 if you want to follow along. And he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the entire world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I want to kind of highlight some things here. If anyone, any, that's you, that's me, anyone. He didn't say, if you 12 disciples, except Judas. If, if you, no, it's us. If anyone's going to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. Well, what does that really mean? Well, Scripture tells us that our, our, our spirit fights our flesh. And our flesh fights our spirit. It's a daily thing that we go on. And we must become less, and Jesus must become more, which means our flesh, our, our natural person, has to become less and less, and Jesus has to become more and more. Now, I'll be honest. That's easier said than done, huh? Now, just because I like you, I'm going to check my clock. All right. I know what time it is. And then you're supposed to pick up your cross and follow him. What does that mean? It means to sacrifice. Isn't picking up your cross, isn't denying yourself, it's all sacrifice, isn't it? Oh, it's so hard. I have a line I use a lot of times. Everyone wants to be a Christian until it's time to do Christian stuff. Everyone likes the title Christian until you're challenged, you're offended, you're angry, 
you, you got to not judge somebody. you got to forgive somebody. Then it's a lot harder to be that Christian. It's a lot easier when we're in fellowship having a potluck. But that's not what Jesus tells us. And it said, whoever would save his life will lose it. You know, if you're trying to do worldly things, if you're trying to be the, the person of your flesh, you're going to die. You're going to lose your soul, it says. But whoever loses their life for my sake, Jesus says, they, they save their life. What do you, lose your life? Are you supposed to hang yourself? No. You're supposed to die to those, those desires, those wants, even those needs that don't align with God's will. And I'll be honest, this is, this is a lifelong battle. I don't care if you've been a Christian a year, you've been a Christian 50 years. We struggle, we struggle, we struggle, we struggle with this. And this is, this is the battle. It starts with humility. I'm going to make a three-point sermon. You know why? Because I like Brett. Brett does three-point sermons. So I'm going to do a three-point sermon. I'm going to talk about humility, I'm going to talk about service, and I'm going to talk about something I call suffering well. Suffering well. So in humility, this was my life verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interest of others. Why this became my life verse is because I used to do everything out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And I didn't care about anybody else. Climb that ladder, get that ring. Woo-hoo! There's an old movie called Scrooge with Bill Murray. And he says, you know, the, you, you, you know, you make it to the top, you, you're going to come down. And the, the character who's this curmudgeon says, that's great. I get two chances to rough him up on the way up and on the way down. I was that guy. I had no humility. I was arrogant. I was full of myself. And then I came across this verse, and God hit me with the holy two-by-four. Just right across the forehead. You probably see the mark. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing that's about you. You know why? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. But then you think, how unfair is that? Well, how do I, how do I get my needs met? How do I get my... How? That's not fair. Well, I would tell you that God's not fair. He's just, first off. But second, look what it says in verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Now, just imagine, if you will, just take the, the, the group that's here in church. What if we all did nothing selfishly, and all we did was look out for each other? That's all we did. We just, all we did was look out for each other. Everybody's needs would get met, huh? Except Tyler. I love you, brother. <laughs> Everybody's needs would get met, because we would be looking out for one another, and so we wouldn't have to look out for ourselves. I wouldn't have to worry about me not getting something I need or want or desire. Because everyone would be looking out for me and I'd be looking out for them. That's the body of Christ. That's what it's supposed to look like. Now, honestly, is that what it, is that what it looks like? No. We're fallen. We're in the flesh. And that's why we have to become less and Jesus has to become more. Because it is so hard for us not to do the things that we want to do. Especially when everyone around us isn't doing the second part right? We're giving, we're giving, we're giving, we're sacrificing, we're doing all this stuff, and no one else is looking out for my interest. Jesus would say, do it anyway. Who looked out for Jesus' interest? Anybody? Maybe some of the women who were funding him and hanging out with him. John, for sure. Not many. So this is part of our resolution. How are you going to become less? 
Jesus has become more. And how are you going to look out for the interests of the other person putting their needs ahead of yours? And your relationships with one another have the same mindset, mindset as Christ Jesus. In everything you do, serve sacrificially, give sacrificially, serve the other person regardless of what it costs you. That is so hard. I mean, this is, this is hard learning. This is really hard because sometimes you feel like you're not getting what you need and all you're doing is giving and giving. And the world is full of takers, isn't it? I'm just being honest with you. The world is full of people that would take every last dime, every amount of emotion, every ounce of energy you have and ask you just for a little bit more afterwards. But what does Christ say? Certainly have boundaries. He doesn't say don't have boundaries. Jesus had great boundaries. But we're to give. And give sacrificially. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, according to C.S. Lewis. It's thinking of yourself less. He said it again. It's not about, about having self-worth issues. It's not about you know, denying your, your existence and value. God values you especially. But it's about thinking about yourself less. Right? That makes, I, I love this quote. I love C.S. Lewis. Brilliant guy, former atheist, saw the light. So humility looks like this. Forgive as you've been forgiven. It takes a lot of humility to forgive somebody. I don't know. There it is. Turn the other cheek. Don't take offense. When someone says something that's offensive to you or whatever, let it slide. That takes a lot of humility to do that. Don't judge. You know, I'm a former intelligence officer, and I judge everybody how they look, what they wear, how they walk, what they smell like, everything. Because I'm trying to get the upper hand, so I'm trained to do that. And uh, uh, this one's so hard to, to take out of my system because I'm actually trained professionally to judge people. And this says don't judge. My job's not to judge anybody. My job's to love people, right? Whose job is it to judge? Anybody in the class? God, right? His throne. Get off his throne. Not your job. You saw what happened to the last guy that tried to sit on it. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. The extra grace required neighbor, the atheist neighbor, the Muslim neighbor, love them. I've never brought anybody to saving grace and believing in Jesus Christ by arguing with them. Ever. (laughs) And I can argue. I'm really good at it. Ask Lisa. I have brought them to softening their heart to hear the message by caring about them and loving them. Next, serve others. I'm going to be really controversial. Is that okay? Would you have it any other way with me? The greatest among you will be your servant, Jesus told us. Whoever serves me must follow me in where I am. Ooh. How did it work out for Jesus? He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was a man of sorrows. His whole family disowned him when he went back to Nazareth to preach the word. The Jews tried to kill him multiple times and finally did. Um, He was tortured. His friends betrayed him. That's the road. That's, that's, That's what happens. My father will honor the ones who serve me. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to deal with that during communion, if I remember. 
You're going to help me because you're laughing. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, this is where it gets controversial, okay? The church does a lot of great stuff, great stuff. But the service I see Jesus do is a little bit different than sometimes what the church does. It's great to go to countries and build buildings and help people. It's great to go do projects in uh, places where they need agriculture and those kinds of things. It's great to go out and provide sandwiches to the homeless. and it, Those are great things. But Jesus touched lepers. I want you to think about that for a second. In first century Jewish culture, society, lepers were the least. They were contagious, so you didn't touch them or you'd get it. They were put outside the camp because Leviticus says you take people with those kind of diseases and don't be around them. They were marginalized. They were colonized. They were unclean. And as a rabbi, you would never even be seen with one of these people because we believe in first century Jerusalem that if you have that condition, somebody sinned. And you got it because you're a sinner. Jesus touched lepers. So what does that mean for us in terms of service? We do all the things we do. You know, I read a report that said the church gave $300 billion last year for good works. And that's just the stuff they count, right? That's not the stuff that you do individually. But are we touching lepers? I, I tell people that, that when you serve, all service is sacrifice. And if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, which means once you serve somebody, you don't stop. You don't stop serving them. I, I was in a meeting at Corbin, and they were talking about discipleship, and they were going to, this one guy, I love this guy, he says, oh, I had this discipleship thing. I'm doing like about five weeks with this person, and then I'm going to move on. And I raised my hand because I'm that guy, and I got to stop going to meetings. I, I raised my hand. I said, our relationships are eternal. You don't stop a discipleship after five weeks. I said, I'm still in touch with all my graduates who have careers I knew from eight years ago. I'm still discipling them. You know why? Because I've been through everything in life they've been through, and I get to help walk them until I die. And then they have to put up with me in eternity. <laughs> That's the relationship. That's the service. So when you think about Jesus and what our New Year's resolution should be, it's not just the typical church service in my mind. Are we out there doing like Jesus and touching lepers? Are we going to the marginalized, the drug addict, the homeless, the ex-con, the, uh, uh, the prostitute, the, the sex trafficked person, you know, all, all those hard people that we don't want to even see in society because they make us uncomfortable. They're not like us. That's who Jesus came for. He says, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. Only the sick need a doctor. Jesus ate with sinners. Tax collectors. Tax collectors in that culture, they were, they were traitors, traitors to Jerusalem, traitors to Israel, and he was with them. It's amazing what this guy did. I, I just wish our churches would, would stand up, and the church is us, by the way, it's not the building. Us would stand up and touch the marginalized and serve sacrificially. And that's one of the New Year's resolutions I want you to have, serve sacrificially. Make it hurt. Don't give it out of your wealth. Be like the woman with the, with the mite. She gave out of her poverty. Oh, now it's going to just stick me on this one. No, it's not. Come on. 
Hey, Ed, can you help me with the next slide? <laughs> We're frozen. Maybe God wants me to speak on service more. I could pound this like a dead horse. Oh. <laughs> we can go back to that. Uh, yeah. The next one's really weird. It's called Suffer Well. And there's this new theology coming out about suffering. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book, and some other people are writing books about suffering. And they, they make the point in the, old, in the old first century church, people suffered well for Christ. It wasn't unusual to suffer. You were persecuted as a Christian. You were going to suffer. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? Scripture says, God causes his son to rise on evil and good and then sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. Didn't David write about this a lot in the Psalms? He would say, why do the evil prosper when we're just out here dying? And then he would, his... his uh, poetry he'd write was in couplets, right? And he would come back in the other and praise God afterwards. But everyone has this same kind of thing, where it seems like evil progresses and does well, and those who do well, uh, you know, suffer. And Peter addresses it. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial you're undergoing, as though it's something strange. You chose the Roman road. You chose to follow Christ. Christ said, no servant is above his master. Whatever they did to the master, they'll do to you. Right? Nothing strange is happening to us. We all go through what we go through. Now, the question is, how do you suffer? Do you suffer like everybody else in the world? Like, like the agnostics and the atheists and the Buddhists and the Hindus and all that? No, we're not supposed to suffer like that. Scripture says, rejoice. Rejoice in your suffering. And some of you are out there going, you rejoice in your suffering. <laughs> But we're all going through the same thing. This is why we can be kind to people, because everyone's going through it. I mean, you read, you, you read this book, and what's fascinating is everyone's going through it. And we're these people. There's no difference between them and us. Everyone you meet is going through something, right? But what does suffering well look like? I can suffer well because I store up my treasures in heaven, not on earth. I don't care about what's happening here materially uh, in this. This is a matrix to me, and I'm unplugged, if you know what that means. If you're too old... Get the movie, it's good. I look toward heaven. I look at what God has stored for me for my blessings. I look at making sure that my eyes are up, not down. This place is depressing. <laughs> this, place is, this place is rough. We are in enemy territory. And if all you're doing is keeping your eyes here, you're going to be miserable. And your personal suffering is going to be even worse. Rejoice in all circumstances. Why can I rejoice in all circumstances? Because I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I, I'm going to heaven. When I die, my last breath here is my first breath there. It is well with my soul. I can rejoice in all circumstances because this don't matter. I'm just passing through. I got a shirt that says, heaven's my home. I'm just here recruiting. And that's exactly how I feel about my life. Heaven's my home. I'm just here recruiting. I'm trying to get as many people to be there at the party with me as possible. Be content. Paul talks about I've been, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've been, all these bad things have happened to me. Be content. How can you be content? It's about having your priorities straight. If your priority is Jesus and eternity and serving and humility and being like our Lord and Savior, the things of this world seem to get less complicated. I'm not saying there's not hardships. There are. 
Jesus told us there should be hardships. I'm just saying how we manage those hardships are very much based upon our mindset and why we prioritize. you got to trust God's plan, right? Scripture says, do not lean on your own understanding because you're stupid. Oh, no, wait, that's the message. Uh, do not lean on your own understanding, but always, you know, give your, give your path to the Lord, and he'll be a light to your path, right? Trust God's plan, even when you don't understand it, and even when you don't like it. Have you ever been in that place where you don't like God's plan? Ooh, I have. You have that Job moment? I will have a conversation with you. (laughs) And then he does that, gird your loins, man, let's go. It's like, oh, darn it. Trust God's plan. Even if you don't understand it, and even if you don't like it. And then realize you have eternal life. New heaven, new earth. How can anything here get us down when we think about what's to come? That's why Paul says, I consider everything loss. I don't care. I don't care. Because I know Jesus. Whew. Chills. Think about it. So, new year, new you. He must become greater. I must become less. That's our resolution. I, I would hope you'd embrace that one. If anyone would come after Jesus, let him deny him or herself, take up their cross, and follow him. That means have some humility. Put others ahead of yourself, no matter the cost. Serve sacrificially and suffer well. Show the world what it really means to be a Christ follower. And then Jesus said, so uh, uh, he said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What's the truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to him, comes to the Father except through the Son. The truth is, we, the body of Christ, are supposed to be a light in the world, going out and sharing the great news that there is a Messiah who reconciled God and man through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He is with us wherever two or more are gathered. He's right here. And, 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 And we have eternal life, and we want it for everyone, because God said, I want none to perish. Jesus said, you will do even greater things than I. And that's our job, to go out and share this incredible New Year's resolution with others. He must become more. I must become less. Amen. 